question the voices of res and I hear Oh plastics Plastics is an SPE sponsored podcast. Hi, Mercedes. How's it going? So glamorous and sparkly today. I love it. It just makes me so happy. Oh, this whole thing, I just threw it right on. This is your casual (laughs) Friday afternoon outfit. Uh, I'm Lindsay Neville. I'm Mercedes Landazari. And with our powers combined, we are Plus Chicks. The voices of resin. Yeah. I just just took that straight from you. It's fine. It's Friday afternoon. It's nice out. Well, at least it's nice here. I feel like we're a little extra punchy. I slept like a full six hours last night. I'm ready to take on the world today. So luxurious, isn't it? Yeah, it really is. It's the best kind of day. (laughs) (laughs) So you can listen to our podcast the first Friday of every month, anywhere you get a podcast. I feel like I'm skipping over stuff today. I think that goes with the I think you're doing doing such a good job right now, Lindsay. Uh, So yeah, our podcasts are released the first Friday of every month. You can get us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, all the the podcast places. Just search for Plastics. Or if you want to see us and see the sparkly uh, shirt that Mercedes (laughs) is wearing, you can catch us on YouTube as well. Okay, well... Yeah, we got all the important stuff out of the way. We have yeah, no major announcements. No, like, you can find us on, on Instagram also if you want to write us yeah. a, a quick note or something, a love note or a love hate note. note. We, or take hate a note. note. we take them personally. <laughs> People will be upset for days. <laughs> well, today I am super jazzed uh, about who we have on our podcast. So Sherika is someone that I have been on the DEI advisory board with for two years now, I feel like. Yeah. And she is someone that every time like a name gets brought up, like who would be really good at this? It's like, well, Sherika, she's amazing. <laughs> and I I feel like I am constantly, constantly uh throwing your name out there. And so I'm just really excited to selfishly have you on the podcast for a full 45 minutes or however long we talk. So um, I'm, I'm, I, I'm also jazzed. That's why I wore my jazz jacket. Mm, yes. <laughs> um, but yeah, and Sherrick and I, uh, Dr. Sherrick and I got to meet um, at the Girl Scouts event. Um, yes. North Texas. Yeah. Oh, see, now that makes me extra jealous. Yeah. <laughs> I just want to throw that in there for you, Lindsay. <laughs> well, welcome, Sherika. Uh, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, you are the senior technical engineer at Manor Polymers. We we should throw your title out there. Um, you are more than just a super cool person. And can you just uh, tell us a little bit about your background, a little bit about um, what you do at Manor Polymers? Sure. So first, thank you for having me on your podcast. Um, I always watch from the sidelines and kind of wish, you know, hey, I wish I could be cool with them. So (laughs) I was so excited when you reached out and said, hey, we want to do the podcast with us. So, yeah, um, I'm Sherika Sanders. uh, And as you stated, senior technical um, engineer here at Manor Polymers. Um, And what I do. What I do um, is I actually wear quite a few hats, <laughs> um, and but mainly it's product development, entering into new markets. We only uh, compound flexible PVC, so it, everything is flexible um, PVC related. Um, I go to customers, I troubleshoot, I run extruders, I develop new products here on our compounding lines um, and visit customers and do all the things um, diversity related uh, for the company and um, 
um, outside the company and volunteer efforts. So at some point you go home at the end of the day. <laughs> that feels at, like some a lot point, at some point I go home. <laughs> and a lot of times, a lot of times I'll, this stuff actually happens from home. <laughs> so you said you do all of the things diversity related. You don't have any help over there? Well, yeah, actually, actually we do. So what we have, we have, um, and we actually had it this week, it's called uh, Man of Polymers Day, where we bring in um, the SPE STEM clubs um, and they spend the day with us. And we have an entire team that helps pull this thing off. Um, and we this week we had 50 kids come through. Um, and what the day entails is, we bring the kids in and they go through rotations. The rotations would include an R&D rotation, a quality rotation, um, a sales uh, call and rotation, um, and a scheduling rotation. So essentially they help us run the company for the day. They do their own mixes um, in the R&D lab. They go and they pull samples from the quality, uh, from the lines for us for, for quality testing. Um, they learn how to schedule production runs. So what should I run on this line? Am I going to only be running clear plastic? Am I going to be running blacks? Am I going to be running different colors? And then how do I fit them into the schedule? And they actually look at the ship dates and when it needs to go out. And then they make a sales call. So this one is kind of pre-set up before they actually get here, right? So we set it up to where they have a script that they follow. The customer basically says, hey, I sent you some pellets. Can you make me a manner match? And then they go into the lab. They run an FTIR spectra of these pellets. They go through our database. They pick one. Then they go to our controller and say, hey, this is the product I want to recommend to this customer. Can you tell me how much to quote it? You know, how should how much should we sell it for? So they go through the whole exercise of gross margin and quoting products and the whole nine. Um, and then they um, do, uh, like I said, the scheduling piece of it. And of course, they do a plan tour. So as you can imagine, that takes more than just me to make this happen, especially with 50 kids coming through. So the Manor team has been phenomenal in helping helping with the diversity efforts of McKinney ISD, uh, which is our local uh, school di- school district, and helping them just feel welcome and to aim for STEM careers. And the program itself is really cool because it's it's diverse, right? We um, target um, kids to where you know they wouldn't have otherwise had this opportunity to do something like this. So it's super cool that everybody wants to put in a helping hand to kind of make it happen. So no, I don't do it by myself, but um, <laughs> you know, it's just, I just kind of like bring in the ideas and say, hey, who wants to help? That's <laughs> amazing. Really That's yeah. amazing. And they, it's, I mean, they really get to do so much hands-on stuff. I mean, it sounds like they get to do more, they got to do more in the lab than I get to do lately in the lab. <laughs> right. I'm super jealous that they got to do the PIR work. <laughs> right. I saw you were making a little face. Was it because you're thinking of how cute it was or were you like, because you're so scared of running PVC yourself? Oh, wow. (laughs) Yes. Yes to all of the above. Um, uh, No, I just, I love the idea of, you know, especially kids, you know, we talk about all the time and I'm probably going to skip around a little bit here, but like we talk about kids not having exposure to plastic other than hearing that plastic is bad for the environment and having, you know, no other context around it. And, you know, even doubly so, I feel like 
if you know a little bit about plastic, you always hear, well, PVC is the worst one, you know? Right. <laughs> so I feel like you're fighting a double battle here. And I mm-hmm. just picture all these little kids coming in and like finally kind of, you know, seeing that it's not this like evil empire from the Lorax, which my kids have been watching a lot of lately and I try and turn it to something else. But, um, and, you know, I just, I think it's such a great, a great idea. And you, you mentioned the, uh, the STEM clubs are the ones that are coming in. Um, mm-hmm. Can you, can you touch on that? Cause that's, I know a big part of, you know, kind of what mm-hmm. the SP foundation has, you know, contributed to as well. Absolutely. Um, so uh, I always start off this story um, about so one day I had this dream that, OK, hey, these kids, you know, I could have some type of impact on, you know, the community around me or, you know, local schools, school districts. And then I saw this um, little blurb pop up on LinkedIn one day and it, it was uh, basically a call for people who felt like they could contribute and serve um, in a diversity, equity and inclusion capacity for Society of Plastics Engineers Foundation. So I'm like, yay. And before I could even, you know, raise my hand to, to do it, my boss, he said, hey, did you see that post on LinkedIn? That's that's right up your alley. You you know, you should you should go for that. And um, so I sent the note out and we went through the whole process. Um, and while I didn't know that all these things would kind of come together all at once, they really did. So um, Eve Vitale, um, who is also on the board, she uh, was talking about what they were doing in um, Detroit and what they were doing in Florida at the time. Um, and I was thinking, oh, that would be so great for us to have um, here in McKinney. And so we set out and it just so happened that Manor, Park, uh, Manor Polymers was already um, a business partners liaison with the school district. Um, and so we had some contacts there that we could reach out to and say, hey, this is what we have. Would you like you know, to, to do it? And they were about it they were like yes so and I'm you know I was going 90s to nothing I'm like let's do all the schools at once and they were like hold on <laughs> let's do a pilot school first see how it works out and then we'll you know grow from there and so how we start out the program is that all of our plastic man educators come to um, McKinney Texas and we do a big plastic man day for all of the sixth graders so we service all of the sixth grade classes for that school for the day Um, We do all the teaching. We offer a positive plastics education. Right. And we start off the day with um, in each class with what is it that you think about plastics, you know, good or bad, you know. And, you know, of course, we get all the bad things because that's what they see on TV. (laughs) <laughs> and so we, you know, we're like, OK, well, that's great. Um, we're going to talk about this so that you can walk away with an accurate perception of what plastics really is and the contributions that plastics brings to our society and the areas that we truly do need to work on as an industry. Um, and so that they can walk away, you know, being more uh, informed about uh, polymer science in general. From that day, we take note of the kids who are super interested and geeked about what we're doing and what we're offering. And then we invite them to join the STEM club. Um, And then as part of their kickoff for the STEM club is a visit to Manor Polymers. Um, And that's part of the thing that kind of gets them going. And they're already excited for the following school year. Um, And they're already asking questions about, okay, so are we going to do some of the same stuff in STEM club? And they 
actually do. So our last year's STEM club, um, they did some of the same stuff that we did on the class event day, except they do, um, they make it more real world applicable. For example, um, for the polyurethane chemistry, they made hockey pucks and we actually set up a hockey game in the classroom and use the pucks that they made from polyurethane foam, um, foam. And then um, we did the polycaprolactone experiment that you guys have seen, probably seen a million times where we take the polycaprolactone, we heat it up, and then we mold it into whatever we want to mold it into just to show them thermoplastics versus thermosets. Um, and they actually made their own forks and spoons. So their parents <laughs> sent pictures the following day, like, what is this my kid is eating breakfast with? Like, it's fine. Yeah, so they're, so, you know, so they get to use the things that they learn um, within STEM club. And that's how it starts out. It starts out with a big plastic mandate and we just take it from there. We currently have about 75 kids in the program. Um, um, 56 graders, uh, I'm sorry, 25 sixth graders and about um, 57 graders. That's amazing. That's amazing. So Sherika, you, you are not just Sherika uh, Sanders, you are Dr. Sherika Sanders, right? Correct. You, one of the highest levels of education, right? <laughs> Do you think that having such such a big accomplishment to your name helps um, the this type of like young potential stemmers to see themselves in in the career in the future? Absolutely, absolutely. Um, so I, I didn't know that when I decided to get my PhD in chemistry that you know. I would have this type of impact. I honestly, at the time, just thought it would be something that I enjoyed doing. I didn't have it in my mind at the time, over 20 something years ago, that, you know, um, this would be a platform that I could actually use to bring other female um, females to, to science. Um, until one day, uh, just right before graduation, um, I had a mentor come and tell me, you know, you probably won't even be doing much science. And I go, excuse me? <laughs> you know, because this is what, this is kind of like, you know, I'm literally a doctor of science right now. <laughs> and they, you know, she told me, she said, you're probably going to end up um, using this more as a platform to bring others to science. And I go, okay, more, give me more, give me more. And she says, one, because she says, I've watched you over the course of this program and you're not a typical scientist, meaning that um, you're personable. So one thing is that we get, you know, scientists kind of get a bad rap because, you know, they're all about the chemicals, they're all about the lab, and then they don't really relate well to others, right? Um, it's just all about the report writing, this very analytical and thought and not very um, uh, personable, so to speak, just not to use that word again, but that's essentially what it is. And so she said, you have that, plus you have the analytic side. So you bring that together and then you have um, someone who's very special in that they could actually recruit others to the field and to, to the industry. And so I thought it was pretty cool that, you know, that was kind of, it was a seed that was planted. So of course, you know, as a new scientist, I'm working, working, working only in science and never getting the opportunity to do the things that I'm doing now. So it was cool that, you know, she stopped me and said that so that I could at least have it in the back of my head. So when the opportunity came up, I could actually use it. 
So when you get a lab with windows or doors, you can. (laughs) (laughs) But that's great to have somebody, you know, who's really, you know, uh, you know, mentor or, or, you know, guru, somebody who's like really seeing your potential before you even recognize it yourself. Right. Yeah. That's amazing. And, and that's that's one of the things that that's cool, right? So because I had someone stop and see it in me, it kind of awakened, um, so to speak, something in me to be able to see it in other kids. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so it just kind of um, transcended into something that was more of a, okay, I'm, I'm leaving a legacy, but also developing a future generation of scientists to also continue to leave that legacy behind. It's just a beautiful chain effect of <laughs> killing it. <laughs> and, and speaking of, um, one of the really cool things that you were a big part of, and we definitely need the backstory and all the details on this, was you are responsible for developing small molecules to authenticate fuel and consumer goods. Yes. I mean, that's like not small potatoes. I mean, small molecules, but <laughs> small, not small very, very small. Small potatoes. <laughs> <laughs> right. Like small. <laughs> right, right. And you know, it doesn't matter where anyone sits from my perspective in terms of um, faith and religion and all these things. But I, for me, um, you asked for the backstory behind this. I definitely think it was the hand of God just leading me and opening doors and um, opening up different opportunities. And so that particular project was nothing that I ever thought that I would be doing. And it was kind of a quickie dink how I ended up there. So I had been with the Dow Chemical Company at that time for probably um, 10 years. And I thought I was always going to be a Dow kid. I loved working there. Um, I started in Michigan. I climbed the chain, the ranks um, fairly quickly with a lot of backing and a lot of mentors, you know, that had come alongside me from the very beginning. And then one day I reconnected with the guy I went to high school with and we got married. What? Family. <laughs> <laughs> Got married, started a family, but the unfortunate part was that he was in, up here um, in, Ar- in the Arlington area. I was down South Texas in the Houston area. So in the very beginning, we just kind of did this back and forth thing. You know, we were commuting back and forth, but, you know, we were young and, you know, it didn't really wear on us that much. No big deal. You know, I'll just come up for the weekend. You come down for the week, that deal. But then when we decided to expand our family and started having kids, it was just kind of like, oh, no, this is, doesn't work so well anymore. You know, and I remember vividly one day I got up and I always used to get the kids ready first and then I would get myself ready. Well, this little baby, after I'm fully dressed, suit all ready for my meeting, spits up down my back. And I literally lost it. And I called my husband on my way to work and I said, somebody is going to move. And I mean, today (laughs) (laughs) he goes, okay, hold on. Let's not make any rash decisions. You know, we'll make it happen. Okay. You got 12 hours. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Right. Pack your bags on packing hours. It doesn't matter. And, um, we decided, okay, so whoever, whoever finds a job first, um, will move. 
and I had been with Dow so long, he had been with General Motors probably 15 years at the time. Um, and so I found a job first and it was with um, a company in um, in Addison, Texas, where they said, hey, um, we saw your resume um, at a conference that we went to and wondered if you like to move to the Dallas area. And I'm thinking, are you kidding me? Yes, I'm trying to get to the Dallas area. Well, what wow. is it that you want me to do? <laughs> Absolutely. When's my first day? Oh, what's your company? <laughs> right, right. Yeah, I'll move. Now tell me what you need me to do after I say I'll move. <laughs> And that's where they said, okay, we need someone who has um, analytical experience. And at the time I was running um, Dow physical testing labs globally. So I had labs in Freeport. I had labs in Trenews in in Spain. I had, I mean, just Tarragona um, everywhere. And so the analytical piece was there for me. Um, What I had to pull from my graduate experience was actually the development of the small molecules. And so combined with what I did in graduate school, the inorganic chemistry piece with what I had been doing with Dow for probably five years at the time um, made the perfect candidate for the job that they were looking for. And so um, when I started with the company, um, I think they had in the works maybe three molecules that they were working with. By the time um, I left um, that company and came to Manor Polymers, we had a suite of three different sets of types of molecules. So approximately about 36 molecules that myself and my team developed to be able to authenticate fuel um, anywhere in the world. And the way this works is that you go to that country and you deposit this molecule and it's, it's, it's invisible to the eye. You deposit this molecule into their fuel stream. And if that molecule shows up anywhere else in the world, that country can then prosecute and recoup, recoup funds for stolen fuel. And so so we were able to recoup millions of dollars for different countries as these molecules started to show up in different parts of the world. And that's how you defend it in court. You take your analytical science and you say, hey, this molecule was deposited in this country. There's no way it should be over there. You know, um, and they were able to prosecute and get their money back. And in terms of consumer goods, one of my um, baby projects that I like to talk about, and no pun intended, was um, Johnson and Johnson um, baby lotion. So it is marked um, with a small molecule. Because, I mean, you know, of course, at the time, I think I had uh, um, a 10-month-old, right? So babies were really, really super important to me. And I'm like, I don't want anybody doing anything making these false products that could potentially harm children. I and so we were on a new outfit, like fresh outfit. <laughs> <laughs> you know, right. stuff like that. <laughs> right, exactly. And so we partnered with Johnson & Johnson and we marked their um, baby products. Yeah, so that they could find out if anybody was uh, counterfeiting any baby products um, in the world and labeling them as Johnson and Johnson, they know whether or not it's their product or not. Wow, that's really cool. I I just heard about um, Heinz developing. I mean, I'm in <laughs> Pennsylvania, so of course it's ketchup related. Um, developing a label. Mm-hmm. So that the color matches the ketchup. And if it doesn't match, then you're, you're supposed to know it's like counterfeit. Uh-huh. Um, and like, I never realized how big of an issue that kind of stuff can be. I mean, I guess surface level I did, but like thinking about that, like mm-hmm. 
mm-hmm. you know, having a counterfeit baby lotion. I would not like that. I would not be mm-hmm. a fan. <laughs> right, right. And it's out there, believe it or not, um, which is one of the reasons Johnson & Johnson decided to spend the money to make sure that their brand was protected. And I mean, it falls on the, under the umbrella of brand protection. So anytime, you know, you have a large brand, everybody's going to want to make a Me Too, right? But you want your brand to be your brand. For example, um, Shell. Shell is a brand, right? Mm-hmm. They sell fuel and they want their package to be their package, you know? And if anything ever goes wrong and someone tries to sue them, they can say whether or not it was their fuel or not. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Wow. Well, I have to ask uh, a question that kind of goes back and um, skips over the really coolness of what you just explained to us. But, um, you know, I know, I know you and your husband were looking for jobs at that time. And basically this company approached you. Mm -hmm. One thing I, you know, I I think we've all heard the studies about how women typically don't apply for jobs unless they think they have met the requirements like 90 to a hundred percent or more. Whereas men will apply for jobs at, you know, a lesser percentage and say, ah, figure out the rest. Um, Mm -hmm. Looking back on that job, if, you know, if the situation were, you know, you just casually looking and not looking so that way um, you don't lose your mind in a morning. um, (laughs) You know, do you think you would have applied for that job or do you think you would have said, I don't know if I have graduate experience. I haven't done that. That's not something in my wheelhouse right now. I'm not going to apply for that job. Um, I'm just I'm kind of interested to know uh, where you would have fallen in that. Um, I probably would not have at that time. Um, if I if I think about who I was at the time and what I was thinking, I probably would not have applied for that job because of what you just said. I don't think I meet the requirements. This is not something, you know, that's in my wheelhouse, per se, not something that I'm, I don't think that I would be good at it. You know, I don't think I would have would have seen that in myself at the time today. If you had asked me that question, would I have applied for that job? Absolutely, I would have (laughs) applied for that job. And I say that also because um, when I saw the job posting for Manor Polymers, because Authentic, Authentic's the company that I was working for, um, was um, sold. And everybody knows when you're now um, bought by another um, private equity firm, they have different goals, different things. So they were just like, ah, R&D, we don't need that. You know, so I was like, oh, let me find something <laughs> What's else. What's the point? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and they, um, and so when I was out and I was looking for, you know, what, what's the next thing I saw this job at Manor and it had said engineer I'm a chemist <laughs> but I apply for it anyway you know I think I can do that I think I would want to do that I wanted to kind of get back to the bench because I was um doing a lot of people leading, which is totally fine. Um, But I kind of wanted to get my hands dirty again. And so I saw this job and came in and I was like, yeah, I can go back to the dark side of plastics. Because I had been working in polyolefins um, for quite some time, polypropylene, polyethylene, um, EPDM. And so this brought me into the world of PVC, which I actually have been working against for almost about 10 years. So oh, wow. Replacement projects. So how can we replace PVC with polyethylene, polypropylene? And so I was able to uh, learn about PVC then. But now I'm on the other side of things where I'm actually pushing PVC and implementing um, PVC applications. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what, um, you know, for, for some of our listeners who, because, uh, you know, a lot of people, uh, I remember texting with Lindsay and another friend of ours about uh, molding some different materials in the, in the lab and and materials that might be scarier than others. And we, we t- definitely PVC came up. But what um, what kind of applications do you say? So what, what kind of applications have you found that our PVC is really well suited for? Because it, it mm-hmm. does get a bad name in the industry. Um, and then Apple swore it off for all of their um, uh, wire and cable applications. And um, but what, where are some where are some applications that you think it's just really, really the perfect polymer to use? Um, I would say building and construction wire and cable. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you're looking for a product that is highly flame retardant, so PVC is going to be more flame retardant than your other um, polymers, right? So especially like your polyethylene or more flame retardant than your polyolefins, um, just on a general basis. And then you can extend that um, thermal stability and um, flame retardancy of it by using, of course, additional additives. So it's going to work really, really well. It's going to meet. So for example, think about it this way. So if you think about building wiring cable, but then you also think about um, building and construction as a whole, um, there are applications where you need to, your walls and everything need to meet certain flame retardancy requirements, right? So if you have a warehouse that you need to divide and you want don't want to put up actual walls, you can put a PVC sheet um, and divide off, say, like a warehouse with PVC clear sheet that will maintain the same type of rating as an actual wall being there. Wow, I had yes. no idea. So if you go into an Amazon warehouse, if you go into um, a lot of different of the the big box and big name warehouses, you will see it divided with sheets. That's PVC sheet. Um, And it has an E84 rating just as a wall would. So building and construction is really huge for us and not just the wire and cable aspect of it, but also other types of calendar products, calendar applications, which would be a sheet product. Um, We just did a really cool one. So in Pennsylvania, there was a rash of soccer goalies who were coming up with lymphoma, right? And so they started to dig and dig and dig and say, okay, what's going on here with this? And it was actually the infill in the artificial turf that was made of ground tire rubber. Now, in the U.S., We have um, rules and regulations as to what can go into our tires. Other places do not. So when the infill uh, comes in to put into the artificial turf, there's no telling where it comes from. Well, they found that a lot of the ground tires had heavy metals like arsenic and different things like that. So as these kids were sliding, skinning their knees, heavy metals getting into their bloodstream, they started noticing just an influx of of cancer. And so they reached out to the plastics industry and they started using a lot of different, what are they calling alternative infills, but we just supplied millions and millions of pounds of PVC infills. So it's foamed pellets um, to replace the the ground tire um, that does not impact um, children the same way or anybody that's playing sports um, on, and they require infill in their artificial turf. So that's another um, wow. good place for it to go. Yeah, I, I would go ahead and say that's a pretty big win right there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. I took a picture of the day. 
Yeah, I pick, took a picture of the day, like the first, um, I think it was 350,000 pounds. It was seven trucks of infill that left our plant. I was like, yeah, that's me. <laughs> Listen, yeah. we love a good plastic selfie. <laughs> right. <laughs> oh, I love that so much. Um, and I, I think, you know, that's one of those stories that, you know, when you're doing these types of like getting back to like, being um, a STEM advocate and you're talking to some of these kids, like maybe the impact on them, they think, okay, like, great, you made our infield safer and they don't register the importance of it. But now you're actually talking to their parents and where mm-hmm. they're hearing a lot of this is, you know, oh, well, the parents have heard plastic is bad. You don't want to do mm-hmm. this. You don't want to do this. And now all of a sudden you're saying, oh, well, you know, that sport you play, like we're actually saving your life here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, you know, with those kind of impactful stories, do you see a lot more parents resisting STEM, you know, before you hit, they hear these kind of stories? Do you have to kind of win the parents over in some of these advocacy programs? Um, fortunately, no, I've not had to do a lot of winning over. So, and if I'm being completely honest, it's, um, more so the parents are intrigued when I walk in the room because they're like, okay, wait, this is the lady that's running the program. Okay. Let me see what she's about. Like, I mean, cause they're used to the white male that's coming to mm-hmm. promote, um, a program. So most of the time here in Texas, when I'm introduced, I'm introduced as, um, a hidden figure because um, our uh, Congresswoman in 2017 recognized the contributions um, over my career that I've had um, on uh, STEM and advocacy for our children and uh, named me a hidden figure of Dallas. Um, So when I come, they're like, okay, first, who is she? And then when I'm introduced, they're like, huh, tell me more, (laughs) you know? So, you know, and then you can tell the stories, you know, you can, um, you know, talk about, you know, you know, this is where this career has led me. Um, And I always, you know, speak to the kids as well from the perspective of, I know what we're working against. We're working against, you want to be the next LeBron James. You want to be the next um, Beyonce and Jay-Z. And I'm like, and this career is just as cool. We get paid too. You can wear <laughs> sparkly jackets. You can you wear dance. You still can. Jackets, right? <laughs> and dance and all, you know, and then you can get into the data analytics and things like the TikTok platforms and the things that they're interested in. Um, the coding, um, one recently that won the kids over and not so much the parents, but that won the kids over is that we had them bring a picture of themselves and then we created their own avatars from those pictures and they were able to operate in the metaverse with each other with the the avatar that they created of themselves. And so, you know, that kind of brings them into the STEM fold of different things that they're like, okay, well, that's kind of cool. You know, I can use STEM for, you know, more than just, you know, being a scientist. This is math. This is engineering these this is all the things that you know I'm already playing with anyway so why not you know use it for something um, beneficial and then the way that the parents are easily won over is that you know I always speak from the heart of I'm doing this because not only do I want to just impact your child but I'm looking to change the the trajectory of their life which then changes the trajectory of the family, which then changes the trajectory of the community. 
Right. And so once they hear that, you know, the wheels start turning like, okay, this is something that can, you know, not only help my child, but it's going to help the family and it's going to help the community. And at the end of the day, that's what we all want. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So did you change the the trajectory of your family or do you come from a long line of PhDs? (laughs) No, (laughs) I did not. I did not come. Yeah, I'm actually the first PhD in um, in my family. Um, My parents um, were. I would say I I would say I changed the trajectory in terms of um, just um, getting an education and using that education to um, help others. So um, my family, they were super, super hard workers. My mom uh, retired from General Motors after 34 years. But, you know, when you look at um, how hard she had to work, you know, so she worked on the manufacturing line. And, you know, I look at her today and, you know, it's just like, um, you know, I wish you didn't have to work that hard, you know, to provide for us. I mean, we had a lot of things. We we're a middle class family, but it was because my parents worked really, really hard. You know, so how about instead of using brawn, you know, use brains, you know, so I would say um, it changed the trajectory in terms of that. So we're all really, really hard workers, but not necessarily now we're more so on the path of using your brain instead of your brawn and wearing your body down over time. My dad um, has worked in an oil refinery for as long as I can remember. So, you know, he retired this past December um, and now he's a consultant and he does all the training. But again, you know, you're a chemical engineer and you're working in an oil refinery, but you're climbing tanks all day. You're out in the heat. You're out in the sun. You know, let's figure out another way to have a great path and bring income into our family without having to beat our body sounds so much. Mm-hmm. So that's what I would say would be the difference between my my parents and my my brother and myself. My brother's a pharmacist. Um, he also attended Xavier University in Louisiana, right? Six years after me. Um, and so now he's killing it in the pharmacy industry, big pharma and, um, you know, doing his thing. Just a, a, a good place to be. <laughs> Wonderful. Yeah. Brain over brawn too, huh? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I, I love that because I think the the brain and the brawn thing, you know, I I come from a family where my my dad was a blue collar worker and my mom was a stay at home mom, you know, random office jobs type mm-hmm. deal as we were older. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when I said I was going to go into engineering, it was like engineering. Like, why? Mm-hmm. And to me, if I was looking at someone that was accomplished and a female and, you know, and as you were saying before, like an African-American woman in the STEM field where what I think I looked up the stats, the EEOC says there's only 15% of women in STEM are African-American and like, that's not out of a hundred percent of people in stuff. Right. <laughs> 15% yeah. percent of women. Of women. Right. Are, oh, wow. Yeah. So, you know, to have someone that's, you know, showing up and displaying all these really great accomplishments and, you know, showing that the, the brain part is not just as easy, but it is a viable path for someone right. like you. I, you know, I think that's, I think that's just really 
Uh, it just, it gives me all the good feels. Maybe I'm just <laughs> extra hormonal being so pregnant. But... Oh no, I've gotten goosebumps too. Okay, okay, good. Okay, good. We're on the same page. You talked about being um, a hidden figure of Dallas. And when I think of hidden figures, I'm always reminded of the Matilda effect, which is something been going, it was identified. Um, I'm trying to remember in the 60s or 70s, somebody published mm-hmm. a paper on it, but it was going back like hundreds and hundreds of years mm-hmm. where uh, I don't know if you have an, a more eloquent way to describe it, um, a <laughs> quick definition of Matilda effect. But um, just uh, when a woman do- is doing the work or has some innovation or discovery and her name is put after man's or sometimes even removed from that body of work. Uh, again, if you have a better way to quickly describe it, but have you have you ever experienced the Matilda effect, or or had others try to attribute your successes to to some of the, these challenging pro- projects you've worked on? Actually, no. And then I would, and I, I I've thought about this um, often, and and just wondered why this has never happened to me. And I think it has a lot a lot to do with. Um, initially in my career, I would say I was extremely naive. You know, I, I would say that I wasn't as guarded as I am now. Um, bef- and, and it actually worked to my advantage. For example, early on in my career, um, my boss at the time, she said, OK, I'm going to give you this product line. Um, I need you to take all the tech service, um, monitor these accounts, do new product development for this particular product line. Well, of course, um, Um, There were all males um, in this group uh, working on this product line. And so the same day that she told me that, she said, um, I found out that they were having a meeting. So I just went to the meeting. Naive (laughs) me, who invites themselves to a meeting. (laughs) Me. So I walk in and the guy who had been there a number of years, he was like, oh, we're we're having this meeting. Da-da-da-da-da. We'll bring you up to speed later. I was like, oh, just sit in now. <laughs> Don't worry about it. I got time. <laughs> yeah, I mean, this is what I'm supposed to be doing. I'll just sit in now. And the room just went silent. Oh. Now, when I think back on that, I know why. But at the time, I was just kind of like, this is what my boss told me to do. So <laughs> why am I not going to stay at this meeting? You know, and then, you know, it came out later that I had invited myself to the meeting. And, you know, it just so happens my boss at the time was a female. And she goes, great job. You know, and I'm like, what is I supposed to do? <laughs> you, know, you know, so I, I say that, you know, I think that a lot of things like that have happened over the course of my career that I can recount. Um, and I attribute it to um, the naivety. You know, it was just that, you know, this is where I'm supposed to be. You know, I'm going to do my job. I'm going to deliver. I was at the time very, very performance driven. And so it's just like, I need to deliver this. And this is the path by which I need to deliver it. And then there was no question as to who did it or not. You know, it was always, well, I know Sherrick did it because one, she just stirred up the whole place and <laughs> invited herself to a meeting and, you know, and making a scene. <laughs> you know, and I'm just kind of wadded out and out walking around all, you know, naive about the whole thing. But I think that's how I've managed to avoid, you know, someone else getting credit for my work. Now, there was one particular incident where. I was filing a patent. Well, actually, someone else was filing a patent on my work. And um, when the attorneys were looking over the work, they kept seeing this number. And it was my lab, lab notebook number. 
And so it got traced back to me like, okay, so why isn't this person filing the patent who the lab notebook belongs to? How are (laughs) you filing the patent? And so I ended up getting the patent, but I would have never known that someone else was trying to file a patent on my work had I not, you know, documented and, you know, had my basically my lab notebook number was on everything. Um, And so it it got traced back to me. So that was the only time that I can think of where something was kind of brewing. Someone else was about to get credit for for my work. Uh huh. It's all like that little molecule just yeah. going right, right on through. Well, I, and like actually like Dr. Waldo Seaman, right, who patented uh, PVC. He was the first person. It, it had been invented by two other people before him. But he was the first mm-hmm. one to patent it. He, yeah. was, he was going on a little Matilda effect. I don't know. If <laughs> no, I think the other two were men, but maybe the people right. working with them who actually did the work were women. <laughs> right. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So. It's been a, it's been a great run. It's been a it's been a really great run. I think um, one of the the latest things is um, I got a chance to co-author a book, and it's called Embracing Your STEM Smarts. And it, it I mean it has been really really good um, because I it mean, is five star rated on Amazon, and ooh. I I do I do own a copy of it. <laughs> yes, uh, it's buried somewhere in my house, but. You oh, have I, a signed copy. No, I didn't you? get a signed copy. I just you ordered it off of Amazon. No, because I'm lazy and I order things right off of Amazon. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted it now. <laughs> we'll have to make that happen. Okay. You, uh, yes, I will bring it. <laughs> but yeah, it was yeah. it was really cool because it came at a time where a lot of things were just happening. It was like right at the beginning of COVID and, you know, the George Floyd incident had happened and, you know, it was just, um, you know, things were just being, for me, blown up. You know, I was super, super sensitive as to, you know, what it was to be a woman in science because, you know, like I said, COVID was happening. So I'm coming from the mom perspective. How do I keep my, my family safe, you know, during this time? And then when the thing happened with George, Floyd, you know, and he yells out for his mom, you know, I'm sitting in my break room at the time and there was not a woman within a two mile radius who could understand how that felt and, you know, just relate with me at the moment. And so it's just like, I got to get back on my grind just so that I can advocate for more women to be in science, just so we can have somebody to play with that work. You know? <laughs> <laughs> um, and yeah, so the book was, was really, really good. And I was able to kind of voice some of those things and, you know, what was created for me as a safe space to be able to say, you know, these are the challenges that I've had and these are the things that I hope to see for us in the future um, in the uh, STEM industry. So get a copy. It's, it's, it's a good I'm going one. To. Yeah, maybe <laughs> I'm going to wait for the signed one because I. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so we can find it on Amazon. Are there other other places we can find it? Do you have a website or. Um, you can reach out to me on LinkedIn, uh, Sherika Sanders, PhD. Um, I've had a lot of folks reach out to me that through that route and I'll get a copy, signed copy mailed out to you. 
Listen, yeah. if it's on Amazon, I consider it the most legit. And I know that is probably <laughs> shilling for big companies, but don't go directly to the to the author. Go yeah. Get it. Just Watch get it on Amazon. You know that it has that authentication molecule in there. Yes. <laughs> We're gonna know yours is not real. It's funny because my my son, he's looking at the shapes of the different prime bottles. I don't know if your kids are all into prime now, but this hydration hydration. I, not my kids, but I have heard all about it. Oh, it the drink. It, yeah. So he was like, this one's legit. This one's not. This one's legit. I and didn't I'm know going, there was black market I, prime. Right. And so then I was like, how are you saying? He was like, because of the shape of the bottle. Look at the shape of the bottle. I was like, honey, that is not a way to determine if something is legit. Or not. <laughs> I was like, it probably came from a different manufacturing facility that has a slight difference in their molds. Right. Let me <laughs> tell you what's actually happening. Here. Right. <laughs> it's funny, though. Oh, I love that. I love that that's even like a concern because like at the bare minimum, it's getting them to recognize like the processes and, you know, that mm-hmm. you get to explain the different factors that go into that. So mm-hmm. I love that. Oh yeah. And I drag, I drag them along with me all the time. You're going to this panel discussion oh. about college. You're going, and I mean, they've been here before, so they know the whole manufacturing process. They actually like hanging out more in the guys with the plant than they do up here with me, but <laughs> yeah, yeah, they're buddies. <laughs> Uh, I love that so much. Well, I I think we're just about out of time. um, And I hear one of my children losing their mind uh, in the other room, which I'm like texting. As long as he's not vomiting on you. Uh, No, not at the moment. We're good. We're we're good. We're going to have pizza for dinner. So talk to me in about a couple hours. Call me crying. (laughs) But Sherika, this was just an incredible conversation. Obviously, we could talk to you for probably another six hours um, without any hesitation on our part. You might hesitate, but we could be back. Uh, so we're so appreciative you could be here. And um, yeah, everyone go buy your book on Amazon or or just talk to the author, I suppose. <laughs> Thank you guys for having me so much. I've had a lot of fun with you guys today. Thank you. Hey, thanks so much for listening to Plastics. New episodes appear on the first Friday of every month. So either follow or subscribe to get those new episodes ASAP. Plastics, the Voices of Resin is a plastics podcast sponsored by SPE, inspiring plastics professionals. If you want to find out more about SPE, please visit for, like the number, SPE.org. Oh. Plastics.